Hello, you degenerates. My name is Scotty. I'm Bobby. <laughs> and we're doing this episode via Discord because traveling in our city right now is fucking nightmarish and we don't want to do it. It's been snowing a lot. But unlike Texas, we haven't lost power. Yeah, uh, so unlike Texas, our governor actually is competent and gives a shit in mostly equal measure. It's kind of hard to tell sometimes. Um, I don't know. Polis is interesting. He's a very middle-of-the-road person. However, he does have to end up touching on progressive issues. And I think it's mostly because people like to associate the LGBTQ plus community with being on the more progressive end of things and having the only gay governor in the nation were, it kind of makes an interesting tightrope walk. I would think for him politically. Wait, Polis is gay. You didn't know this? No. Yeah. We have a first, we have a first gentleman. Oh, that's, that's actually super cool. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it... Only state in the union so far. And actually, I'm really glad that it's underplayed a little bit because it would be super shitty of him to be like, to, to turn it into kind of a token thing, you know? Well, yeah. And I mean, that's kind of, I think that's part of kind of what he's doing is trying not to make a big deal about it, mostly to show that he's just people. That's fascinating. And uh, that, that, that would be my guess anyway. Mm. So speaking of fascinating, uh, there's a thing I need to mention here uh, for our audience. So uh, last episode, we covered a interesting gentleman by the name of Dick Face McFuckerfuck. <laughs> uh, Rush Hudson Libmaw the third. <laughs> the Rush. <laughs> Fucking kills me that he's the third. Okay, so right. we uh, we were exceedingly generous in our coverage of Rush Limbaugh. There's a couple reasons for this. One being that it was in episode zero. We didn't really want to get too deep into the weeds in this guy. And boy fucking howdy, there were some weeds in that boat. But like, consider what we did a glossing over. Yeah, Not an intentional yeah. over. We weren't trying to make light of him necessarily. The thrust of the episode was Rush Limbaugh isn't really a monster. He's just an asshole. And that is still true. But uh, if you guys want more information, there is a podcast called Behind the Bastards. I do not star in it or... And uh, I'm not really attached to it in any way. But they are what inspired our both presentation style and uh, topics for this podcast here. Behind the Bastards goes over the worst people in all of history. They talk about some interesting people, um, and they talk about how those people were really, really shitty in various ways. Uh, the podcast Behind the Bastards has a, I want to say, highly liberal bent, but... Uh, I, I can agree to that. <laughs> yeah, but they talk about assholes from every part of the world, and they go over some fucking dark shit. They have no shame about any of it. So, if you guys want more context on the Rush Limbaugh thing, they go into it way 
way, way deeper. I think there's like three hours of Rush Limbaugh uh, life over there on Behind the Bastards. You can get them where you get us. Same places, same time. Because podcasts are not... Time is fake. Bobby, help me. We're not related. They're not paying us. We're not affiliated. We're just fans. And we like to give them a shout out, you know? I fucked that up so hard. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, the, the point here is, yes, <laughs> uh, we know that we didn't really do Rush justice necessarily. We kind of glossed over it. Or but... injustice, more rather. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, uh, we did... We were super gentle with him, and uh, it is not our intention to be gentle in any way with anyone. It's just that we kind of have a limited time to resource and research these things. Yes, I know that sounds weird, but I promise you resourcing a podcast is a thing. Um, you you got to get your facts straight. You can't just spout off stuff. Otherwise, you become something like QAnon. And well, influential, <laughs> they're just yeah. they're just no. That's and, just a no. Yeah. Your I, ideas, your ideas, QAnon, no. Yeah, I don't I don't care uh, what your political party is. I I do not give a shit. Here we are more centrist, or at least that's the idea. And uh, unaffiliated, I would say, at least unaffiliated works better. Yeah. And to prove <laughs> that uh, we went from Rush Limbaugh, conservative. Uh, what, do we, what do we call him? Uh, icon? Uh, kind of like the conservative mouth of Sauron. No, no, no. That's that. That actually is a little bit insulting. No, uh, just like he, he's he's a conservative icon to them. Right. Like just. Calling him an icon yeah. isn't really off, offbeat too much. You think? One of their superstars. Okay, yeah. So Rush Limbaugh, uh, conservative superstar, which I think, yeah, superstar is pretty fair considering how he announced himself. Um. Today, our topic is the Democratic National Convention, and how it both is at extreme odds with itself, and how the way it's at odds with itself doesn't really allow it to function in a meaningful way. My personal research for this topic comes largely from... Uh, what was the damn title? Sorry, Grandpa Scotty is trying to audible, and I'm not good at anything, so we're, <laughs> we're working on that. Um... In the meantime, uh, well, to get started, it's interesting to note the origins of the Democratic Party, because mm. a lot of people like to think of the Republican Party as the grand old party, but you can technically, technically argue the Democrats as being the older one, at least by name. As a matter of fact, the Democratic National Convention was originally just called the Democracy. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, at least that's the oldest mention of them I could find. Uh, th they were originally helmed by, you know, Thomas Jefferson, and Jeffersonian Democrats called themselves the Democracy, which was a fantastic call. Like, 
God yeah, damn. No. I would love to use that one again. That That is some fucking on-brand naming right there. You know, if we ever do make a party, let's call, let's call our convention that. <laughs> right. Okay, here we go. Or so, maybe something like the new democracy. Oh, God. No, no, Ooh. no, 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 no. Hold let's... on, that might get a little edgy. No, that that would play a little bit too hard to libertarians, and I don't I don't want them on my lawn. I mean, the target practice is great, but the cleanup is a nightmare. That's a <laughs> joke. That is a joke. Yeah, because everyone knows libertarians would probably fire back. <laughs> yeah, they're probably the most heavily armed motherfuckers on the planet. <laughs> like, when you talk about liberals not liking their guns uh libertarians are liberals and boy fucking howdy they are armed to the teeth okay here we go so the book i read well audiobook i listened to for this was uh soul of a democrat by thomas e reston i don't know thomas personally nor do i know much about him professionally i just saw the book and it talks about largely how the democratic national convention has changed and how democrats as a people historically have worked in and around the united states it's pretty broad uh i would say over broad and he tends to waffle on it's almost a nap time story in, in some areas but there are some interesting tidbits like that uh thing about the party originally being called the democracy Ouch! What are what are you eating in the in the microphone? What? Your your microphone was like clipping and chipping for a second there. Oh, sorry. I had to plug in my uh, charger. Oh, okay. I was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right. So, <sighs> broadly speaking. The Democratic National Convention, uh, originally called the, Democ the Democracy, it's a party that intends itself to be for the little guy, for the marginalized people of the country. However, it was not always the best about saying and admitting who the little guy was. The De Democratic National Convention, as it is today, is very operational. They're very mechanical. They don't really have a thing to, to unite them, and they're very, very scattered because of this. The, the, they're like the mass party, the party of the masses. Everyone's got their own little interest, but they all have a same general sort of direction-ish they want to go. Right, and one of the things that's kind of killing them right now is that many Democrats and many Democratic citizens as well, uh, side note, on this show when we say Republicans and Democrats and say the Democrats and the Republicans, we are talking about the leadership. We are talking about the actual politicians at the higher levels of their individual parties. Bernie Sanders is a Democrat. Uh, for these purposes? Yeah, for these purposes. Um, Alex okay. Jones is not a Republican. He is a Republican citizen, probably. <laughs> as, long as, as, as much as a uh, 
large screaming bag of jello can be a citizen of any particular group. That may have been particularly blob. That may have been particularly mean of me, but I really fucking hate Alex Jones, so I'm not apologizing for this. Well, not not even just for not, not even just for his politics. He's just an asshole. Well, the whole thing reason why Mongoose Brigade's called Mongoose Brigade is because he wanted to call his show Infowars. So it's like, all right, I'll fight on the side of information. And what's better for hunting a snake than a mongoose? Oh, that's 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 great. Um, I don't know if we shouted this out properly in the last episode, but Bobby's uh, collective that he runs is called the Mongoose Brigade. I, I mean, you. I don't have it- other things. This is kind of all that I do, other than ten hours of work a day, sometimes fourteen. I mean, you're keeping the gears of America turning, at least. <laughs> it fucking feels I mean, like you're turning those gears manually, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, we forgot to put in power steering fluid. <laughs> oh, motherfucker. <laughs> okay, uh, back, back on topic. So, the, yeah. the Democratic National Convention... Uh, as I said before, it's currently very operational and very mechanical. We don't we don't see them standing for anything today because overall Democrats are concerned with winning elections, not with participating in the elections. Which that sounds very strange, but you know, bear with us. <laughs> it's kind of like at least this is personally how i see it they both want to take control but they want to take control in very different strategic methods the democrats want to try to take and most people are going to say this and let's be frank it is a little bit true they tend to aim for more suburban areas this isn't always true but yeah the large and- part it is in fact during the 60s the Democratic strategy was actually very different, as was the Republican. Right, and it's not really a secret that the Democrats tend to prefer the expert opinion and the college-educated such-and-such. The Democrats really, really lean hard into the uh, educated man philosophy, which it is kind of their bane right now, because a lot of the country uh, has been slowly taught to reject and to hate intellectuals uh, over, over the years. So the Democratic Party's plan to kind of prop themselves up under uh, under intellectualism, it, it's not working. And it can be argued and has been argued that it's one of the larger reasons they they fail to reach the broadest demographics they focus themselves in cities and in suburban areas because that's the kind of area where the college people go to after they graduate college fucking nobody leaves wichita kansas goes to college and then moves back to wichita (laughs) no in fact having lived in a small rural town for a little while one of the biggest problems they had was trying to keep 
younger people there, mostly because most of the people, younger people didn't see any op economic opportunity. Because there and isn't to any. To be serious, there wasn't. Yep. So, in a weird way, the very things that these parties are fighting for are kind of the same things that are kind of killing them a little bit. Right. And the Democrats, very specifically, uh, they've they've done some shit. Um, <clears throat> Lots of shit. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, the Democratic National Convention, as they are today, is the same Democratic National Convention, more or less, that... Uh, participated in the quashing of the AIDS epidemic. I'd agree to that, yeah. As a matter of fact, I haven't I haven't checked up much on this, but we might just about have a lot of the same actual people in the Democratic National Convention right now that we had during the AIDS crisis. It might be a lot of the same old cranky right motherfuckers. Let's see if I can't look that up right now, actually. So, we promised you that we'd get into the weeds on this little one. Um, the, the problem with getting into the weeds on this very specific topic is that the Democratic National Convention doesn't they have a lot of history behind them. They've done some important shit. But over the last 50 years or so, they haven't really been a united anything. The Republican Party is really, really good at uh, rallying behind shit. But the Democratic National Convention, at least for the last uh, good while here has slowly moved away from the rights of the individual to the rights of the group. Collective identity is very important. Collectivism, basically. Yeah. It is very important to the Democrats. It, it's so important to the Democrats that one of President Obama's first words out of his mouth as president was about the collective soul of our country. And... Uh... uh very broadly speaking, that's not a great strategy. No. Because it's I mean, very easy to hook people for the Republicans by saying, well, we're for our personal rights and you're taking our rights away. Well, no, largely the DNC isn't taking anyone's rights away. What they're doing is trying to transition the rights of the individual into the rights of the group. The problem is that you don't need to do that, really. Well, no, and a large part of this, too, comes down to how the parties comprise themselves, too. Like, we've talked about them both being split between the masses and the cadre. Well, the advantage of the masses is that you have numbers, and numbers is generally good in a democratic system. The problem is you lack the cohesion that a cadre would have. So while the Republican Party is usually a minority, especially when it comes to the general populace as a whole, being focused largely in the rural, 
they still have a much greater cohesion, which makes them much more effective at stopping and passing legislation when they do obtain power. Right. Whereas the Democrats, they usually have what they call a wish list. And please, they can't even agree please. amongst themselves on some of these things. Oh, please tell me they don't actually call it a wish list. The, well, I mean, oh, God, usually when a party so... seizes control of the trifecta, mm -hmm. usually they have what they call a wish list, which is legislative agendas they would like to pass overall. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, I think it's mostly something that largely originated from news outlets. Uh, but... Yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> But you, it gets it gets ridiculous with some of the things. The platform and the actual agenda of a party vary wildly. By the way, weird fact: Did you know the Republican Party has on its official platform and has since the uh, I think '60s, turning Puerto Rico into a state? That is fascinating, considering how much they really hate Puerto Rico. Well, I mean, even if it were to become a state now, they'd actually be at a strategic disadvantage since they seem to be favoring more democratic and liberal-leaning forces. I mean, Puerto Rico's always favored the Democratic Party. Like, always, well, yeah, always they're the party that actually them. wants to pay attention to them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what makes it especially interesting that it's on the Republican Party platform for Puerto Rican statehood. Why would they do this? Okay. It was a different time. <laughs> All right. So, hey. The, one of the, Sorry, getting off track again. I mean, it's not really that off track. Uh, it, because we're talking about, you know, the things that the parties want to do. The Democratic National Convention doesn't have anything to unite behind. When they have had something to unite behind, it's been a terrifying political force. Big time. Like, once they figure out what they want to do, it's going to happen. Right. But the problem is uniting all of the very disparate Democrats under one banner and saying, yes, we are all going to do this one thing, and can we all at least agree that it's not the worst idea? You'd be surprised how I hard like that can be. spirit, but, uh... <laughs> I want to do it this particular way instead of that way. Oh my god. Yeah, so the Democratic National Convention is notorious for getting bogged down in the how-tos rather than the what-do-we-wants. And... Yeah. I think that the, the, the landmark example is actually Bernie Sanders. Because Bernie's thing largely is listening to his constituents hearing what they want, and then being a zealous advocate for them in the Congress, which is his fucking job, yes, so thank you, Bernie, for doing your goddamn job, but... Hooray! One out of 100. <laughs> one out of 100, indeed. Uh, the thing... Well, I mean, if you want to... Yeah. Mm. It... <laughs> so... I'm getting I'm getting tied up on myself here, Bob. Uh, we're going over the basic problem of being the masses party with how you can get lack where you can get things done occasionally 
and when you do, it's like a storm force. Right, right, right. Bells. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so yeah. Ber Bernie's thing isn't popular with the rest of his party because the Democratic Party, while it did used to be for the mass, for the proletariat, basically, much as I am loath to use that word because of all the screaming fuck sticks that it brings to my door. Well, I mean, I don't even know if they would do that as much as just the middle classes, really. No, no, that, that wasn't within our lifetime. There was a time when the Democratic Party's thing was to be for the good of the people overall. Their, their thing was to be for the little guy and... At the time, that meant kind of just claiming the gigantic majority of the population because the majority of the population always has and always will be minorities in aggregate. And in fact, that's increasingly so nowadays. Right. But uh, while it used to be the fact that Re the Republican Party was largely... Uh, special interest and they, they they've been the republican party they've been the whigs they've been the tories they've been everything but it's not been the same people nor has it been the same motto or mission but however it's all been the same general current right so the thing that makes the democratic party special in america is that they stood against people like the federalists and they weathered that storm. The Democratic National Convention is just the new name of the same party that's been changing and shifting over the generations where the grand old party and the Federalists and the Whigs, they were all very different organizations. Yeah, no. In fact, many would like many put the Federalist Party even more towards the left than a lot of those parties. The Whigs favored protectionism, and the modern Republicans, at least originally, not so much anymore, originally favored free trade. Right. So what what I was trying to get at before with with the Bernie thing, Bernie's Bernie's platform is raising up our lower class so that they can participate in anything really. And one of Which his... in America they call socialism, but in reality it's like a mild progressivism. Yeah. yeah. Um, very specifically talking about, for example, the $15 minimum wage increase that uh, Bernie and many of his friends want to push. That isn't necessarily the thing they're really fighting for. What they're fighting for is the betterment of the working class and they're only fighting for a $15 minimum wage because of the way the minimum wage is traded in America. So, which is horribly. Oh my god, so fucking horribly. Um those of you who aren't aware because you're some kind of star child and have never had to work a terrible fucking shitty job in your lives. Lucky bastards. Uh we don't hate you, we're just jealous. Okay, we we hey, hate you. Yeah. We hate you a little bit, but not like maliciously. It's nothing personal. <laughs> it's nothing personal. It's just business. <laughs> Literally. Uh the way America's businesses have been treating the middle 
class. The way they've been treating the minimum wage, very specifically, is really fucked up. So Bernie's fighting for a minimum wage increase because the kinds of work that companies have been forcing their minimum wage people to do doesn't really it's line not minimum up. wage work. No, it's it's not. And yes, there are easy, low effort jobs somewhere. I'm I'm sure, but oh yeah, no, there are. Uh, They're just not I, the jobs most people think, though. Right, being a bagger at a grocery store, it's a simple job, but it is by no means an easy job. Because companies want to get every square penny out of their employees. Ooh, square penny. That's an interesting one. I don't think I'll keep that. I uh, wonder if anyone would ever make a penny. I don't well, see I guess why. pennies are kind of going the wayside. Right, right. So, Bobby and I used to work together at, yes. at least one institution. Actually, no, it might have been only just the one. It was only just the one. I've and... never really worked anywhere else that I remember. <laughs> and uh... I, I, I've got my own plans. I want to move past working for somebody else. I'm actually thinking about opening my own per 3D print shop. Oh, fascinating. I'm getting more 3D printers. Nice. So Bobby and I used to work together at this grocery chain in our area. And... Come when I worked there and when Bobby worked there and we were in the same department, Bobby and I, I think, worked the same job, right? Was Curzy Clerk? Yes. So here's how Curzy Clerks get treated at Kroger. Oh, my God. Horribly. Um, for starters, when you work for Kroger as a uh, bagger slash Curzy Clerk, you are responsible for dragging in all of the carts uh, out of the parking lot, for bagging up people's groceries, for making sure that the customers can find items on the shelf, for almost all of the random customer service things. Like, sometimes the cashiers will get involved, but it's really the bagger's job to connect with the customer. You're basically the gruntiest of the grunts. Yeah. And, um... You work at top speed for hours. You can't slow down either. If you slow down, you are reprimanded. If you stop to take a breath, you are reprimanded. If the business is slow and there is nothing going on, you are immediately instructed to start tidying up and start cleaning. By the way... They pay for a janitor. Just one. Yeah, no, they have an entire staff now. Oh, that's... Wow, fuck that, man. That makes me angry so fucking much. When we worked there, there was like one janitor. Yeah. For a kind of large store. I mean, it wasn't a superstore or something, but damn, it wasn't small. Not, it, it, it was about three quarters the size it is now, and most people think our store is... Way bigger than pretty much any grocery store they've ever been in, and this is including even bulk stores like Costco. Yeah, no, it's it's the size of, like, a mid-scale Walmart. And it's just groceries. Well, mostly groceries. Yeah. You know, seasonal aisle. So what we would do as, as baggers and eventually as cashiers 
was a lot of really intense work and it wasn't strenuous on any particular part of our bodies like it wasn't breaking us physically but it took a big toll on us to be constantly smiling yeah that's the thing if you so much as frown you can get written up for what was it uh insubordination I don't remember anymore. They actually changed a lot since then. Thankfully, yeah. they got in a heck. No, they got in a hell of a lot more relaxed. Yeah. There's still a lot of weird, stupid crap though, and lately nowadays the uh, the higher ups of the company, like the CEOs and all that, they seem to have a fascination with turning the store into literally a labyrinth. It changes every week, com almost completely. So the the idea that we're trying to get at here is that minimum wage workers typically will be asked to do far more work than minimum wage would imply that they're actually doing. Yeah. And on top oh, of Oh, and a which, lot of times, being a courtesy clerk, you'd also have to do cashier work, too. And right. And you wouldn't get their rate. Oh, yeah. Not only would you not get their rate, if you did manage to get up, to curse, uh, up from courtesy clerk to cashier... They would treat your entire work contract as if they had never seen you before. None of your time spent working as a cashier, uh, as cashier when you were a CC, mattered at all. You were a new employee. Fuck you. Yep. <laughs> and that's not it's... even unique to Kroger. This kind of behavior is very normal for minimum wage jobs. If you work a minimum wage job, you don't matter, and the company will exploit you. For yeah, example, you, uh, yeah, you don't count as a person. You can get and even full, the customers recognize this. Like I, I can get full time work for the company, and I, I and we were full time for the record. Um, however, because we didn't average, I think it was like thirty six hours a week which the company specifically engineered that we would never reach an average of 36 hours a week. But because we didn't average that, we weren't eligible for any of the benefits that full-time, you know, came with. So we made we, that even worse now, too. So as a minimum wage employee, you get worked half to death for the shift that you do work. And... Yeah, you you might get uh, less than 40 hours a week, so it seems less abusive on the outside. But you also can't plan anything because the store goes out of its way to not schedule more than, like, maybe a week ahead of time. So if you schedule something, what you have to do is file ahead and say, hey, um, I would like to request to have this day off at this time. But if you didn't request it four months in advance, you weren't going to get it. Well, here's the advantage now with the new contract, and this is why having unions and businesses and stuff like this overall is actually a huge plus, is under the new contract that we have, they can no longer do that. They have to make the schedule two weeks in advance, and they now have to actually consider things for that. They can't, like, you know, make you have to go all the way out that far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no. 
The contract overall has been getting better, and that's partly due to a strong union. And this is kind of why not only having unions in these jobs is a benefit, but having a good union in particular is a benefit. Right. Now, what I'm trying to get at largely with the minimum wage job thing, this this seems like a weird tear in a conversation about the DNC, but I promise this is, this is relevant. I mean, we're coming back to Bernie Sanders. Don't worry about that. Right. He, so, he's sitting there calmly with his mittens. We're coming back to him. Fuck <laughs> your mittens. Okay, so... Bernie's thing is, I want to raise the minimum wage to $50 an hour. The reason he wants to do that is because his people would be benefited by it. And the only reason that that's the reason that that's the angle that we're taking is that companies are treating their minimum wage workers like they're fully trained, highly experienced people. There, there like are jobs in labels. this country right now that you can apply to that are minimum wage and require experience. Think about that for That's a second. That's actually partly why I didn't get the first couple jobs I applied for in my life. Just think about how fucked that is. This is a minimum wage job. And according to the arch conservative, minimum wage means minimum effort. But they're doing this in kind of a degrading way by talking about the employee saying, oh, well, minimum wage is like that because the people who do it are lazy fuckers. Well, no. Uh, while I'm sure this is true in many places, and I have fucking been to some places and worked for some places where that absolutely was the case. Uh, another example is, uh, oh, yeah, uh, Smashburger. I worked as a manager for a fast food joint for a while, and I, and not a, oh, not a low scale one. Stories I heard come from that place. This was a great, great restaurant. Like for fast food, this is some good shit. However, <laughs> uh, for thirteen five an hour, I I was getting my shit kicked in. For for a job that's barely over minimum wage, I was required to get multiple certifications for alcohol safe, for food safe, for management safe. Oh, I'm going to note real quick for people, the 13.5 an hour being just above minimum wage, it, it ref we're referring to Colorado state minimum wage, which is at two as I believe at $12 an hour right now. Right. And so I was kind of just skating over minimum wage and it was some of the best money I'd ever made at the time. But I was still basically working a minimum wage job, just working the management part of a minimum wage job. And I was getting my shit knocked in every single week. Part of it was I wasn't really suited for the job necessarily. I was just not very good at being a kitchen person. Well, but it was a very high demand job, too. It's an extremely high-demand job, in fact. And a lot of companies right now are treating their minimum wage workers, their entry-level workers, with a level of responsibility and a level of just workload that isn't appropriate for 
the level of disdain that people like to heap onto minimum wage jobs. So, if I can circle back again, Bernie's people, his citizens, are asking for an increase in the minimum wage not because necessarily they believe that the minimum wage should go up. They're asking for it because they're being asked to do work that well and truly exceeds what minimum wage is. What they're looking for is a fair wage. Exactly. I, oddly enough, faced this problem as a country just over 100 years ago. <laughs> Fascinating. Fancy that. <laughs> It's interesting, because you know what else was happening a hundred years ago? I mean, aside from World War One and all that. Oh uh, gosh, uh, slavery. In some parts of the world, yes, slavery was still practiced, including but including in America. Or rather, we're talking kind of like a secondary Gilded Age, almost. Yeah, kind of. Like the original Gilded Age was in the late nineteenth century. So. We do have to wrap this back around with the DNC. And yeah, this is going to be a two-parter, guys, because there's a lot to get into here. Um, and the, the wage discussion is related and kind of tangential, but it it is related. It, it will come back because wages in the minimum wage fight in itself is one of those particular platform, platform planks that the Democrats like to use heavily in elections. Right. In fact... Pretty much every Democratic campaign has had minimum wage as part of its platform. Now, I would actually like to see the minimum wage go down. Really? Yes, I would. I would like to see the minimum wage go down, and I would like to see the minimum wage go down with the caveat that when it does and as it continues to drop ever so slightly so that entry-level jobs can exist and kids in high school and, you know very young adults who aren't earning a full uh, livable wage off this thing or who are doing a trial period or whatever can still do that without, you know, causing undue strain on their employers. I would like to see a situation evolve where the minimum wage goes down, but there are heavy restrictions on what a minimum wage job is allowed to ask of its minimum wage employee. So bring it back more within to bring it back more within perspective. Right. Because if I'm working a minimum wage job and you're constantly pushing me just shy of, you know, out being allowed to have benefits at that job and you intend to keep me at that, you know, at that area where I don't get benefits, where I am not eligible for anything within the company's, uh, relief structures and you intend to keep me at that wage with those conditions for years which is the plan don't even question it i mean yeah okay sorry that was that was not fair of me question me please but also please don't question that many of these companies if they had the opportunity to keep you at minimum wage for your whole fucking life without ever paying you a scrap of benefits, they would do it without even blinking. 
Well, to improve their bottom line, and if every company is doing it and every place is like that, the competition bar level just drops overall. Right. So the DNC can't fight for its people because there's a, there's just too many things going on for them to focus on. They can't focus. The DNC is so wildly unfocused that they they're hearing all this shit. They're hearing from from me, from from Bobby, from everybody. So when they've I heard for, they've heard it for centuries, a couple centuries now. Right. So, and it's hard to directly criticize the DNC because they're such an amorphous group these days. Well, I can let let, let, let me try to see. Let, let let me try something. The DNC is basically your medieval torture method of quartering, but on a mass scale. And when it comes down to it, everything that gets pulled apart, think of it like you're not quartering a regular person, but you're quartering Gumby. (laughs) So instead of actually pulling them apart, you're just going to have all the horses smack back in the middle. And form some kind of nightmarish clay monster. Exactly. Yeah, so... Goes around, getting what the clay monster needs for sustenance, continuing forth, and possibly absorbing more clay monster things. Yeah. Now, we we spent a lot of time on this, uh, going into the very specific issues of why the minimum wage fight is so specifically a problem. Well, we're not talking about this from the from the perspective of how the DNC is handling it. We're talking about this from the perspective of people who the DNC is trying to pander to when they say let's increase the minimum wage because the DNC doesn't know how to fix this. Well, not only that, but how do you mean increase the minimum wage? I mean, you can increase the federal minimum wage, but is it going to be like a temporary increase? Is it going to adjust with inflation? Would it adjust right. with the cost of living? And not I mean, only how that, do you calculate but... all these things. The the federal minimum wage is already at a point where it puts an enormous imposition on local businesses. It's already well, kind of prohibitively expensive just to pay your employees as a small business. Yeah. Here's my personal thoughts on the idea of a minimum wage on on this. It's a little different from what you got. Honestly, I believe there should be like a federal minimum standard that adjusts with the cost of living of the lowest valued state. So the state that has the lowest cost of living, that's where you'd base your minimum wage off of. From there, states would be able to have control and even have individual localities and municipalities even have the right to change their own minimum wage. The only stipulation is that it not go below this minimum standard. Right, which is very similar to what we have now. Similar, but there are key differences to it. Like, the adjusting for the cost of living, for one. The being based on the lowest place of income and even allowing individual regions to have more freedom and autonomy on deciding this instead of leaving it at the state level. 
Right, right. But when the DNC talks about this, when the Democratic National Convention, which is meant to stand for the outliers, meant to stand for the minority, meant, in fact, to stand for people who cannot stand for themselves, when they try to talk about this, it gets snarled up. This, this this DNC conversation kind of ended up devolving into us going on our own particular personal tangents, and I'm sorry about that. Well, but I mean, it even is we're going to have disagreements because we're not 100 percent the same in belief. Right. And this and, even further outlines the whole general problem of, I guess, what you would call the left in America is the wide range of opinion that can work together. Right. Like, this podcast is helmed by two people who are objectively kind of left of center somewhere. I I think I come closer to the center of the uh, global political compass. And at least closer than Bobby does. (laughs) But I'm a weird outlier. I honestly don't even know where I am anymore. But while this podcast is helmed by two people who are objectively left, uh, we're not really interested in just pushing for left shit. The reason we're having trouble talking about the DNC today is that the DNC is... (sighs) The DNC is not united. And furthermore can't unite there's there's talk every once in a while of uh, unity and what whatever we can't have a united dnc in this country it's better to say it's a coalition this was not always the case it's certainly not it was certainly the case some uh i think it was 35 37 years ago Right around the time of Ronald Reagan, we did still have a DNC that more or less agreed on some things. They didn't march quite in step, and as a matter of fact, the Republicans didn't march in step either. The deeply divisive politics of our current age started because of the DNC in at least one way. The civil rights era and the whole civil rights acts being passed. The weird ways they had to negotiate, especially with the Southern Democrats. Actually... kind of led to the more or less shift in the perspectives of the party. Actually... finalized that whole thing. The Dixiecrats aren't what I'm talking about. Really? Yeah. Um, that, that was kind of the nugget that got started, I think, but... What started the current era of everything being ultra divisive, it, it, basically it's, it was Ronald more Reagan. Like the highlight, like the tip of the point. Yeah. Even, you can even go back further with the Ro- with the whole Roosevelt transition, where Teddy was a Republican in the older sense, and FDR, his cousin, I believe, or his nephew, one of the two. Was decided to call himself a Democrat, kind of showing the already beginnings of the shifting of ideals. Right, and it 
it's been spoken of to death how Reaganomics and the Reagan presidency just broke the Democratic Party. And yeah, that's I mean, that's broadly true. There's there's some minutia that's not really being brushed up on there. What was going on primarily was what I was trying to get at, uh, I think, oh shit, half an hour ago. What was going on really was that the Democratic National Convention was shifting from a party of the people, by the people, and for the people to a party of special interests. And it's not uncommon today for us to think of them as primarily just vague politicians who uh, pander and pander and like to pretend to be for social justice when they don't really stand for it. That started in the Reagan era. Well, came out in force in the Reagan era, I think is more appropriate. Wasn't it Ronald Reagan who said, I judge a man not by the color of his skin, but by the something of his, the merit of his actions or something like that? I, I don't remember that being attributed to Reagan. I could be wrong. I think it was like the whole slogan behind the whole colorblind thing. Oh, fuck me. Yeah, that, that sounds about right, actually. <laughs> with what I'm getting at with the DNC becoming a party of special interests, it's not uncommon today for politicians to make backroom deals with some investor or large donor or whatever have you. And it's very common for the DNC now to engage primarily with experts and have the experts talk. And they've, they've kind of adopted this, this patronizing kind of father knows best thing going where they just decide what is best for the country and expect us all to go along with it. One of the reasons come off as pretentious. Oh, extremely. One of the reasons Bernie is so popular. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons Bernie is so popular is he doesn't do that. Bernie listened to his people, listened to what they wanted, and said, I will fight for that. And yet, I'm kind of biased in this one because I like Bernie. A lot. He's an honest, hardworking man who's put his fucking ass into it and just worked for his money. Now, granted, I actually worked for the campaign as a volunteer. Honestly, I thought it was probably the most grassroots of all the campaigns during 2020. Yeah, it might have been. Now, there's something else I have to mention here. Bernie Sanders. There's a lot of a lot of, a lot of people throw shade about Bernie. Actually, any of the DNC people, uh, whenever anything remotely maybe left comes up. Oh, well, what about all this wealth you have? How about all these things you have? And now you're trying to come down on the, the rich people. Yes, I'm being pedantic about that. Yes, I'm being insulting. There's a fucking reason. <laughs> Bernie Sanders makes his money. He earns his money by doing his extremely overpaid job. Let me say that again more slowly so that you can grasp what I'm getting at here. Bernie Sanders 
earns his money by working an extremely overpaid job. He does the job well. At least I think he does it well. He, he does it... He has a pretty good record and he keeps getting reelected, so I'd imagine he does it to some degree well. Right. Unless they've fallen into the incumbency trap like everyone else. Oh, that would suck. So, all of the DNC politicians are extremely overpaid. The Republicans too, but the DNC politicians are overpaid to cartoonish levels. It's, it's really quite frightening when you start getting down to it. And they don't listen to their constituents. We were talking a second ago about how the DNC likes to uh, kind of patronize us and go, oh, well, well, we know what's best for the country, so why don't you just let us do this? What Let us decide this for you. Which, as a party who started as you know, literally the democracy, that's not super cool. The democracy is slowly turning to the oligarchy. Yeah, and that that is interesting because... Traditionally, that was the job of the Republicans, i.e. the Whigs, i.e. the Federalists, was to stand behind the oligarchic interests in the country. That was always their business, literally the business of business. But the DNC very slowly kind of found other ways to be basically the same thing. Both the DNC and the GOP are deeply, deeply conservative parties. We do not have a radical change-seeking party and a counterbalancing party to... uh, Fuck. I I had a thing. We don't don't have in America a, a party that pushes for any kind of change and a party that resists those changes for the good of the country to make sure that things don't change too fast. What we have is two deeply conservative parties who don't want anything to change, but they do want to fuck the other side over. And By changing the rules of the game. That's and that's all they've been doing. The difference is that the GOP has also been pushing an actual recognizable agenda. The DNC kind of hasn't been doing that. And whenever they try to do anything in general, the GOP sits up and screams about their religious rights or their gun rights. And anytime the GOP starts screaming about their rights, the DNC... snaps, the horses come back. Yeah, the DNC sits down, shuts up, and gives the GOP the floor. It's... The DNC has become so deeply passive so deeply uninterested in actually pushing for anything tangible that when they finally did push for something tangible i.e pushing to get the president of the united states of america impeached it sounded very out of character for them i mean people expected the move but they didn't expect it to be as cohesive as it was right And yes, it was a piece of political theater. That's what an impeachment is. 
There has never been a successful impeachment. The closest that's ever happened was Andrew Johnson way back. Actually, no. The closest we had to a successful impeachment was President Nixon because he was going to get impeached. No, Nixon never actually got impeached because he resigned beforehand. Yeah. Johnson literally avoided impeachment by one vote. Yeah. No, what I'm getting at is uh, the closest thing we had to a president who just got impeached and removed from office was Nixon. Because if that would have gone through, holy Oh, yeah, no, he would have been down. He would have been fucking destroyed. But it would have also destroyed the GOP. And he couldn't have that. I don't know about that, though. Because back then, the GOP actually showed a lot more... A lot more appeal to common people back then. Well, no. They're still appealing to common people. That's the thing. The DNC is kind of reaching out in general. They're kind of throwing their arms to an open convention floor in a great big fuzzy... Uh, cat suit and saying give me hugs look how soft i am but they're not actually getting anyone to come in and do that because that looks kind of creepy and patronizing where the gop is doing the exact same shit they just you know chose a convention where people would respond to that thing yeah that 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 allegory got away from me i think Yeah, no, that that got away from me. Um, the DNC and the GOP are doing broadly the same kinds of strategy right now. It's just that the DNC isn't doing anything. They're they're pushing to get this thing passed or that thing discussed, and the GOP is mainly just saying "fuck you" for being Democrats, "fuck you" for having thoughts and opinions that I don't like. And also, they're being angry contrarians, right? And angry contrarians are really easy stance to maintain. And seriously, it, it is unbelievably easy. Yeah, but I feel like if you don't have a purpose to it, eventually it kind of just peters out, and you aren't able to use it as effectively. Right, but that's the thing: the GOP doesn't need to have anything else. All they need to do is say, "We're standing by." the christians were standing by these uh put upon white folk and whether those white folk are put upon or not the image is that they're standing by people who are being ignored and kind of mocked by the dnc and let's not split hairs the dnc absolutely is just mocking these people yeah the DNC has never had more contempt for any single demographic other than black people than they do for the, the working class. And yes, I am definitely very serious here. The only group oh, that know. the DNC has ever had more contempt for than the working class was the black population of our country. And no, we are not getting into BLM today. We are not getting into the Black Panthers that's later. That's coming. Not today. Black Panthers have an interesting history. Oh, yeah. Fascinating shit. <laughs> the, the Hoover administration mm. did some fucking wild shit. <laughs> but, uh... Okay. Uh, 
we're we're running a bit on this one. This is this is this is episode one of the DNC talks, and there was a lot of a lot of waffling. But what we're doing here is setting up the conversation for next time, because there's a lot of context to bear in mind when we really dig into the DNC and start ripping them a new one for how fucking ineffectual they are. Because yeah, no, there's a lot to unpack on this. Like we wanted to make this all about one, uh, all, all one episode, but I haven't even brought up today the deep, deep anti-Irish sentiment that they were definitely a part of. I haven't brought up their long storied history of genuinely hating immigrants, which was weird for them to do. I haven't brought up their really weird implementation of women's suffrage. The DNC really glossed over the Dixiecrats too. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Bills were a thing. So there are a lot of very specific things to talk about, but this episode, while we kind of veered a little bit, what we're, what we're doing is setting up for the next episode because the DNC of today has a lot of things on its mind and it's pushing for a lot of different, very weird shit. They've never been truly united. Not, not since the federalists were kind of gone, but the DNC, the democratic national convention did used to be a party that stood for very specific things. Now those things changed multiple times, but yeah, they did used to stand for specific shit. They don't do that anymore. So today we talked about, you know, the wage issues. We talked about the cultural issues. We talked about the reasons that certain politicians have trouble bringing things to the DNC floor. I mean, I didn't say the DNC floor, but that was what I was trying to get at, was that one of the reasons that Bernie Sanders is having trouble is that he's bringing people's issues directly to the DNC floor, which is a thing they haven't done in fucking hundreds of years. (laughs) Sorry, not hundreds of years. Decades. I added the zero where it didn't need to be a zero. They haven't, they haven't brought people's issues directly to the floor of the DNC in fucking decades. No, they haven't. That's a thing they're supposed to do, for the record. That, that, they're, that is part of their job. In some states, it's actually a law if you want to maintain your party. You have to convene at least once a year. And, you know... Okay, I, I've been doing a lot of the talking, Bobby. Why don't Why don't you? Uh, we, you you said a while ago. I don't know if it was during the pre-show or if it was something else. You said something about the DNC uh, earlier earlier tonight that I I found very interesting. Can you Can you bring that up again for me? Uh, what about specifically? Uh, you said something about the the DNC. Uh, like how they how they function, uh, how, like like the oh. way they they function versus the old versions of the party. Oh, well nowadays, oh, 
I mean, this is my own personal view, but the DNC now seems to function a lot more like a large, broad coalition. And, you know, the whole general direction thing I keep pushing. Like, they have a general amorphous goal in mind. The problem is, though, when you're the party of the masses, you can never really try to direct it unless you have an effective, strong leader. And this is kind of where the whole Bernie Sanders thing comes back to us, because technically he's not registered with the Democrats, though he does caucus with them, which is why we're considering him a Democrat. Right. And that, that is something this specific. power that very many people who are working towards the Democratic Party don't have. In fact, we saw how fractured the Democratic, the Democratic National Convention was during the primaries when they had a record number of candidates. Right. The Democratic Party is extremely fractious. But only one... Oh, but, and it showed the fracturing between the moderate groups and the progressive groups because... The progressives had maybe two, three candidates up their tops. You had Bernie Sanders, arguably Elizabeth Warren, and I don't know if you want to count Andrew Yang. Uh, I, I don't I know think if you want Andrew to count Yang. Him. I think he'd fall more on the moderate end. I think Yang technically counts. Uh, just I don't know. The the the. Okay. Well, anyways. Yeah. The whole moderate camp of the Democrats, they were completely fractured for the longest time. And early on in the primaries, this afforded Bernie Sanders many victories. Right, because in Bernie fact, Sanders... It's what made him look like he was going to be the prospective nominee until Joe Biden entered. Right, because... And part of the problem that the Democrats have is, though they're a party of masses... Well, the cadre can keep fronting strong names and people that people know. The masses have to keep sourcing for a candidate. Right. Who the fuck is Andrew Yang? Who the fuck is Elizabeth Warren? Nobody knows these people. Who the hell's Tulsi Gabbard? Uh, who, By the who, way, who the f- she never formally resigned as far as I found new. Oh, that's interesting. Like, she never formally quit the race. That is interesting. Um, okay, also, who the fuck is Kamala Harris? No, like, who the fuck is our vice president? She's an interesting character. Yeah, she's an, she's a fascinating character, but it's like you were saying, these people don't network at all. No one... Yeah, you're talking about well-established names versus up-and-comers and largely unknowns. Right, and that's the frustrating thing. They're not inexperienced. They've been doing this for a while. Or they couldn't really have gotten to the point of running for an election. It's just, they don't have the... They don't effectively brand themselves because they're too disparate and they can't... They don't have really a unifying theme. Right, they don't have any push. They don't have anything that they can bring to the table and say, this is important, and they have no fire to them whatsoever. The reason Bernie Sanders took off like a fucking rocket was he went up... He slammed his fist down and he said, hey, you young people who are being ignored, laughed at, and mocked by your elders, I see you, I hear you, and I fully understand and appreciate that you are the future of this country. 
even though my colleagues point blank refuse to acknowledge you. That is a power that you cannot understate. Well, not only that, but he gave an actual, real, concrete direction and idea of what he wanted to accomplish, too. Right, and he was a person. I, I can't, I cannot stress this enough. When Bernie Sanders started pushing, the DNC no, the authenticity freaked out. of him was great. Oh yeah, the, everything else. The DNC freaked the fuck out because while the Republicans can sometimes come across as a bit robotic or a bit cartoonish, they still yeah, have Bush. some kind of personality to them. The Democrats. Well, that's part are... of what led to Trump's success is his high charisma and the fact that, like him or not, he will tell you his beliefs point blank. Yeah, and I've never made a secret of the fact that I fucking hate Donald Trump. I hated him before he was president. I will hate him till the day I die because he's an right. asshole. But this is kind of the interesting thing that both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders had in common is they gave it to people straight and had the charisma to back it up, which right. really caught fire with both of them. Right. The difference being that that uh, Donald Trump was pushing for conservative values and Bernie Sanders was pushing for slightly less conservative values and america is a deeply deeply conservative country <laughs> yes it is yeah. i hate i hate what mitt romney said but unfortunately he is technically right america is a center-right country at best at best and the dnc i added the at best part i'm gonna be honest the dnc doesn't really they, they know that they don't have any great orators, and that's a large part of the problem. They don't have any stage presence. Their, no. their, their best They don't speaker, have a deep bench at all. Their best speaker right now among the registered Democrats is Joe fucking Biden. And he's in his late 70s. The man comes across as senile, and it's not because he is senile. It's because he's really old, really out of touch, and God, he's Honestly, tired. He probably didn't expect to ever be president. He's, he's or tired. Or even have to man. run for it. Like he's 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 done. The man. I I get the feeling no. largely that he ran out of a sense of obligation. That's what I firmly believe. Because if he didn't if he didn't run, he knew the moderates would fall apart and Bernie Sanders would win. Oh my God! Yeah. And um, he, Having a battle of the extremes, while I'd very much prefer Bernie Sanders, you're going to cause some chaos. Right. And the large problem w that they have with Bernie Sanders, and this is actually a legitimate thing for them to worry about. As much as I like Bernie Sanders, um, his politics are... They're not radical on the compass, but they're deeply radical for the country. He, the things he yeah. would the things he would change at the speed he wants to change them would fucking wreck some people and he knows that it would it would snap economic faith heavily oh yeah i mean granted not a whole lot of people have much economic faith right now and i can't plus a really self-proclaimed democratic socialist with a free market capitalist corporate economy right so what bernie's doing there is he's He's actually calling back, ironically, to a more Jeffersonian style of democracy. 
he's calling back to, to that yeah yeah he's calling back to jefferson and he's saying hey i i believe in the rights of the individual but i also understand that the market has more than one version of laissez-faire and the one that we've been working under benefits one and only one class and that is the super class I would say, while he proclaims himself to be a democratic socialist, his ideals tend to fall more along towards the democratic republicans. Yeah, and that's not wrong. The thing is, um, America's been deeply, deeply inoculated against any kind of socialism of any kind. And well, yeah, that's, I mean, we've had multiple red scares. And that's largely the DNC's goddamn fault. Actually, yes. I mean, aside from Joseph McCarthy, you know who was really tantamount in the whole McCarthyism thing? Hoover! <clears throat> Robert Kennedy. Oh, yeah, him too. Yeah. Oddly enough, you want to know, this is going to be one last, this is going to be weird tangent, but Indonesia, at one point, decided to execute all its communists. They got a list from the United States. Yeah... The only person who ever apologized in the entire U.S. government for the murder of anywhere from half a million to two million, no one's sure, Indonesians, the only person to apologize was Robert Kennedy, the very same guy who helped Joseph McCarthy earlier, who was also resentful of that. Right. So, we're, we're, I am trying to wrap this up for us, because... Uh, Part two is going to be a royal bitch, and we're already pushing an hour okay. 20 here. But, yeah, what we've covered it, so far tonight... It kind of ties back into having a charismatic leader like a Kennedy, for example. The good ones. Yeah, we don't have a whole lot of charismatic speakers uh, in the Democratic Party. Exactly. And when we Much have less charismatic had... speakers that want to be honest... And when we have had them, they've been lightning rods to the party. It It's really very funny how the DNC and whoever they were before, whenever there is a good orator of literally any kind, the DNC explodes. <laughs> yeah. But well, they, I mean, they don't speak that's well. How they, they don't, that's how they've been winning largely. Yeah, well, Barack I mean, Obama was considered one of the better orators, orators since Reagan. Yeah, no, he did pretty well, and uh, people can complain all they like about him, but he he damn well knew how to work a crowd. I've I have not seen yes, that did. much sass out of a political candidate ever. Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to the whole authenticity thing. He he he, he kept it real. <laughs> So, wrapping up episode one of the DNC, uh, this was largely some background work. Um, with the next episode, we will be working more specifically with what happened during the Reagan era and what kind of mutated the party beyond hope after the Reagan era. It, At least we didn't get the Star Wars initiative or the Strategic geez. Defense Initiative. Jesus Christ, no kidding. Yeah, we're not going to cover that one. That, that That's for another day. No, those are what-if scenarios. What we're going to be covering next episode is very specifically what the DNC's 
policies were and what they became and how the DNC kind of the the DNC changed from a party that wanted to institute politics and to change the cultural narrative into a party that was only interested in passing policies. Policies are not politics. They are the result of politics. And the DNC doesn't know that anymore. Exactly. That's why nothing of real substance has come from them in a long time. So, uh, Bobby, where, where can people find you on the, 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 on the thing? Fuck. Robert Evans, goddamn you. I, I love you so much, but I, I, I get so scatterbrained after listening to your shit because you ramble like this. What? <laughs> Robert Evans is the host of the Behind the Bastards. Oh, oh, oh. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to emulate him, but I, I listen to his shit so often that I kind of... Well, I mean, that that's kind of whole artistic aesthetic thing. You 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 sort of start to emulate the artists that you appealed most to, right? Well, it's not or, like I wasn't like this before. <laughs> no, I mean it's fairly common. <laughs> okay, so Bobby, where where can our listeners find you on the the internet after this? Well, you can always find my personal crazy wild views on our on my Facebook page, The Mongoose Brigade. Join us and, well, have some random weirdness on your page. Have some random weirdness on your feed every once in a while. And uh, you can find me here at uh, Project Recall, where we discuss the context in our society that's brought us to where we are today while yes today we talked a lot we talked a lot about more modern issues uh yeah next episode of project recall dnc part two we're gonna talk about some uh deeply historically valuable shit and we're gonna get more into the timeline it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh i promise there'll be less tangents (laughs) yeah no we're done with the, we're done with the background stuff. We're going straight forward. Oh yeah, no, we're we've we've got a full head of steam now. Uh, speaking of, this is a bi-weekly podcast because, as I discussed before, I work fifty to sixty hours a week, and uh, Bobby works the same kinds of long, brutal shifts. We don't have time to. Uh, research and resource prod uh, <laughs> podcasts Jesus Christ podcasts uh, to do a weekly show I would like to do a weekly show um, however that's just not possible uh, at this it's moment it's currently not in the cards no uh, and guys I want to be very clear here um, it's not about money it's about uh, me having just the time away from my job uh, we yeah, might. No, it takes time to do all this research and actually learn these things. We might do a, a more weekly podcast with with Bobby and I once we get some things sorted. But for the foreseeable future, like i.e. the next several months, it's going to be a bi-weekly thing because there's a lot of uh, reading to go over 
And while I do get essentially paid to listen to podcasts all day, you'd be surprised how difficult it is to find anything with actual uh, citable information that I can look up later and then actually prove isn't just a random Alex Jonesian bit. Which is one of the reasons why I like Behind the Bastards so much. They're really, really good at bringing you uh, topical, viable information for whatever yeah. they're talking about. That episode they had on Rush, pretty accurate, I'd say. Oh yeah, no, they, they did a bang-up job on him. Um, like I said before, the pod... The... Pod person. The book i audiobook i listened to for this was soul of a democrat by thomas b reston it's a interesting enough political read uh, it's gonna put you to sleep if you're not careful so have coffee ready but there's some interesting things in it where it discusses uh, very important historical pieces of the dnc and uh there's also some places where the uh, where the writer waxes poetic about what the DNC actually is or isn't. It's it's not the best read I've ever done, but it's very helpful for our purposes here. Yeah. Honestly, I might look it up myself. Oh yeah, no, it, it was it was interesting. Um, I wouldn't call it fascinating. It came close to fascinating, but it was just it it the the speaker drones a bit and makes it a little bit hard to stay awake. Oh, yeah. Um, on a side note, uh, less fun. I think I want to start a tradition here, Bobby, where uh, you and I each do a recommendation that's not related directly to the topic at hand. Like it could be a, it could be a podcast, mm -hmm. a artist or whatever. Well, let's see. I mean, in, well, in... if you're looking for some interesting late 19th century American economic political philosophy or socioeconomic philosophy, I would look up Henry George. He makes some interesting cases in favor of free trade against protectionism, which was actually a very popular thing in his time. If you were just in the aftermath of the Civil War with the collapse of the Whig Party and all that. Many people don't know, but Whigs were actually very huge protectionists. Oh, yeah. They were massive on the uh, protections of the business class. They were brutal. Oh, yeah. But he also covers an idea known as a land value tax, which personally I find very fascinating and oh yeah, interesting it's, uh, idea. It's it's not implementable. Uh, it, it 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 cannot work. It cannot cannot function in our current setup. It's not possible. But it's a fascinating read. I disagree. <laughs> oh really? I think you totally could implement it. You'd have to focus less on actual land values, and in fact, you might even have to change the concept of property tax around. And and I'm not even... saying that you should focus solely on a land value tax. Certainly not. You'd probably have to not change to go the as name far as to the single tax system. No. Yeah. But in were... terms of economic efficiency, it's provably much more efficient than many other types of taxes. Nice. All right. Um, as for me. Uh, my recommendation is 
a little band called the Mystery Skulls. I've been listening to some of their music lately, and by some of their music, and by lately, I mean I have been obsessively hunting down their songs for years. They are <laughs> wonderful. I love their music. My favorite song so far was Money. It's some good, good shit. What kind of music do they do? Like, what what sound? Uh, it, it, it makes the noise and go bop. I don't... I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not the best at categorizing. Oh, no. Um, Mystery Skulls... Uh, uh, I can't play their stuff on our podcast because that would be rude but uh, yeah. yeah you guys really should listen up to their things because the, 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 their song Money is absolutely phenomenal one of the things that, that comes up on the chorus in that song is how uh, they used to worry about money and things they can't control and it's just not worth it hmm. yeah and it's really boppy um, it's, I think it, it counts as electronic. Um, I have no clue how to categorize music at one point. I, uh, this is actually kind of embarrassing. Um, at one point I discussed, I, I was discussing, uh, music and I referred to Nickelback as being pop. Uh, so yeah uh maybe maybe don't ask me what my favorite artist's genre is because i could not fucking tell you <laughs> oh i mean the way you described it i'm still interested oh yeah no and uh mystery skills actually does a lot of things their favorite my favorite song from them is money they also do some other stuff uh like hellbent which is a straight banger And they have some uh, really fun music videos on YouTube. So if you guys are interested in looking up Mystery Skulls, check out their YouTube stuff. It'll help you get into their music a little bit more because the visuals are absolutely great. But the songs on their own, if you like the visuals, can honestly carry themselves. Uh, the one for money is called Turntable Turnabout. And it's honestly a blast because they take Phoenix Wright and uh, characters from his games and turn them into DJs in the courtroom. And oh, God. It, it's, <laughs> it, it, and they're doing this... And there's this thing that Mystery Skulls likes to do with their, with their music where the characters that are being animated will always kind of bob their heads with the backbeat. <laughs> it's, it's great. It, it, it reminds me of Rubber Hose Animation. It's, it's really good. And we've, I've just spent 10 minutes talking about nothing. I'm going to cut this off before I uh, injure myself. This is the, the pod. Project Recall. Thank you. This is Project Recall. <laughs> My name is Scotty. I, I almost forgot it this earlier yeah, today. So. Yeah, yeah. We almost forgot our own podcast. This is like, what, episode two? <laughs> we've done nothing with this so far other than slap together a honestly kind of frightening little image <laughs> yeah i don't know i think we'll hit our stride 
I like that image. If you guys like going on these whole discussions. Yeah. If you guys want to have, if you, oh, oh, that's what it is. If you guys want to issue suggestions to us for episode topics, I, oh, fuck me. I actually have no idea how to use social media. Shit. Really? That's not a bit or an ad plug. I genuinely have no idea how to use social media. I'll I'll figure a way to get us uh, like a like a Dropbox is a file thing. I'll, I'll figure a way for you guys to send us uh, suggestions for episodes and uh, comments and shit. I don't have an email that uh, Bobby and I both have access to just yet. I'm 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 working on it. I promise. Okay. Yeah. We'll get it set up soon. Be fun to see what, be fun to see what topics you all come up with. Right, and I'm honestly glad to have you guys around. So thanks for listening to Bobby and I ramble, and we will see you guys on. Oh Christ! I think not until April. Yeah, April seventh. April 7th, episode 2 drops. Uh, This episode should drop on Wednesday the 24th. And, uh... Things... But... Bobby, we need an outro of some kind. Thank you for listening, thank you for your support, and... Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Yeah, uh, good night you heathens. Yeah, that 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 yeah. <laughs>